Thank you, Encore, for your ministry and music, and thank you, Mike, for, for leading them. As I said, we are continuing on in our series on the, the book of Exodus, and I want to begin by having us think about a beginning of a me- message or an introduction to a message such as this. Okay, oftentimes the preacher will try to grab your attention, maybe wake you up, telling a story, telling a joke, maybe just saying something that is relatable to, to move you into, t- into the text that they are preaching. Think about yourselves. You've got a lot on your mind. You have sick kids. You have big projects at work coming up this week, stressful, a stressful situation. Your attention needs grabbed, pulled off of what you're thinking about, and brought onto the Word of God. Well, God comes with the ultimate attention grabber to begin our text this evening, and that is that God shows up in a burning bush. The ultimate attention grabber. Two weeks ago, as last week was Fellowship Sunday, we left off the story in the book of Exodus. We left with Moses fleeing to Midian. He, he gets out of Egypt, he heads to Midian, and he, he ended up in Midian because of two separate occasions. Uh, he steps in, he steps in on a, an attack, a, a fight going on, and he, he seeks to stand for justice and, and stick up for the one who is, is being oppressed. Moses sought to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. And we thought about two weeks ago that both Moses' timing and his method weren't God's timing. And, and we find that uh, today in our passage. So we, when we come to Exodus 3, and we're going to be looking at both Exodus 3 and 4 this evening, when we come to these, these chapters, we find that Moses now in Midian is now in Midian, and he's a, a shepherd uh, far away from Egypt. And while he's attending his sheep up on a mountain, that is where we have this picture of Moses in the burning bush. A bush, he comes across a bush that is on fire. There is a flame, but this bush is not being burnt up. So I want us to begin by looking at the first nine verses of chapter 3. And and really, I want to look at these just to kind of set the stage for our study this evening. And then we'll really get into the the part that I really want us uh, to focus on as... These are two pretty long chapters, but I certainly we could take them apart, but I think they really go together, and I want to try and, try and do that this evening. So let's look at Exodus 3, verses 1 through 9, and you're, you're welcome to follow along on the screen or open up in your own Bibles, but we'll read straight through the first nine verses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, 
a land, flow, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So as I said, I want us to just look at these nine verses to kind of just set the stage for, for what we're going to look at. So uh, we'll look at most of these verses, but not exactly verse by verse. And I want to point out just three things that we see here, specifically three things that we see about God. And the first is that this is God who ultimately shows up. Verse 2 speaks of the angel of the Lord. Verse 2 again says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Well, we find that the angel of the Lord is ultimately God. Okay, notice how the text makes this clear. So we'll zero in on verses 4 through 6. And I've kind of bolded the parts that the angel of, the God's meant, the angel of God is mentioned in verse 2. But then after that, it is God. It's God. It's God who's mentioned. It says in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. I think that's important for us to see. It's the angel of the Lord, but now it says God called to him out of the midst of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So I point this out to show us that this is an interaction. Chapters 3 and 4 is an interaction between God and between Moses. God is the angel of the Lord. God is the one in this bush that is on fire, but it's not being turned to ash. Second thing I want to point out concerning God is that we have God's holiness and his compassion balanced in these verses. Holiness, okay, when it speaks of holy ground, we'll look at that verse in a moment, but holiness speaks of an apartness. Okay, being apart from others, or, or different, or, or sacred, or pure. So we have this displayed alongside God's care and his concern for his people. The fact that God is shown to be far above, far different from Moses, far greater than Moses in his holiness, and yet he's willing to come down and be with his people and, and associate with them and, and help them through their suffering. Two things that might not seem to go together they go together in God. Exodus 3, 5, we find this holiness. It says, then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. It's holy because God is there. God has shown up. He's present. has nothing to do with the actual ground that Moses is on. And then Exodus 3, 7, 8, we find this compassion. So holiness balanced with compassion. It says in, the be, in verse 7 and then the beginning of verse 8, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then the third thing I want us to see concerning God is that God is coming through on his promises promises. And we see this in verse 8. It says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then here's the promise that is going to be, be fulfilled. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hiv Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
So if you think back through our study, if you've been here with us in Exodus 1, we found that God was continuing to fulfill uh, his promise concerning making Abraham's family into a great nation. They were multiplying, they were growing, and this was ultimately a fulfillment of the promise that, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham had no children, and now we find in Exodus 1 that he has many, many descendants. And here we find God is answering uh, or fulfilling or starting to fulfill a second promise that God had made centuries before to Abraham, and that is in Genesis 15, Now read for us verses 13 through 21. It says, and this is, as I said, centuries ago. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. So come back, there is the land of Canaan. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites the Gergeshites, and the Jebusites. So back in Genesis 15, God, is, God promises Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. This is going to be your land. Well, then as we go through Genesis, we find they actually leave that land. They go to Egypt as we've seen them in. Now God is showing up in our text and he's saying, I'm going to bring you to that land. Okay, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you to this land. And if we're following along with this story, okay, if we were just reading it all at one shot, we should come to this part and say, Finally, finally, we've been waiting for this to happen. Finally, after hundreds of years of being in Egypt, it's finally happening. So these verses set the stage for what I want to be our focus for this evening, and that is God and Moses' interaction. So, so far, it's been pretty um, light on Moses' part. He hasn't said a lot. God said more, but we find they have a back and forth. They have an interaction where God's talking, but certainly Moses is as well. And I want that to be our focus for this evening. So we'll look at most of Exodus 3 and 4 as this is what covers it. And this will be our theme. Exodus 3 and 4 show us a revealing refusal as God sends Moses. Moses' refusal occasions God to reveal himself further. So our outline is pretty simple. We're going to see right after verse 9, which we just looked at, God is going to commission. He's going to send Moses. And then, cons- and then we'll consider five instances in which this is met with resistance. Moses resists. And to each of these uh, instances of resistance, God responds, and each response shows God's character. We learn great truths about God from these responses. And then after we've looked at this, I want to tie it all together and just look at one grand point of application. So God commissions Moses to to a task that we might expect him to be up for. Look with me at Exodus 1.10. It says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God shows up to Moses 
in a burning bush nonetheless, and he does so to call him to be his leader, to be his deliverer, to even be a prophet to the people of Israel. God is sending Moses. So he speaks about, I've come down. And we find that Moses is the one that he, he wants to work through. He says, I will send you. And if we think back to chapter 2, two weeks ago, we saw that Moses' character was revealed. And I mentioned this right in the beginning, that on three instances, he sought to, to deliver. He sought to, to stand up for justice. He took initiative. He was bold. We could even say Moses was fearless in these instances of standing up for someone that's oppressed. And I think as we leave chapter Chapter 2, we might think we have this man who is, is confident and bold. We might expect his response to be here when God says, I want to send you for Moses to say, here I am. Send me, as we find with Isaiah later in the Bible. We might expect Moses to say, sign me up. I've been rearing to go here in Midian. But we find this is not the case. As we come to, as I said, the first instance of resistance from Moses to God's sending, and that is doubting his, and that's Moses' capability. Look with me at Exodus 3:11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So it's a humble response from Moses. Resistance, but I, I would say not sinful at this point. It's, it's humble resistance. Moses questions here, who he is to be sent on such a mission? Who am I to be called to fulfill God's plans? Who am I to confront Pharaoh? Moses, as we think about his words here, he's saying, who am I? He's realizing his weakness, his status, his failures, and all of this causes his first response to the call of God to be, who am I? I think we, as we think about Moses here, and as we think back to, to chapter 2, it might be a little baffling. How do we go from this bold, confident man to now someone who isn't up for the task, doesn't want to, to do it? I believe we see a man who has changed, a man who's been humbled, a man who was once confident in who he was, a man who was bold for what he believed was right, but it got shut down. Okay? His confidence was shattered by rejection. He tried to deliver, but it failed. In chapter 2, I'm not the man for the job, Moses is saying. Now, God's response is interesting. We might expect, so Moses says, who am I? We might expect for God to say, no, Moses. You know what? You had right motives many years ago. Your character was right. Moses, you're a leader. You're up for the task. Your character stands behind you. You are capable that's what we might expect for God to answer when Moses says, who am I? And God to tell him who he is, why he chose him, what abilities Moses had that others did not. As we come to God's response, that's not where God goes. So we come to God's response, and God's response does not focus on Moses, but on himself. Look with me at verse 12. It says in Exodus 3, 12, he said, I, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So who am I, Moses says. And God replies by saying, nothing of Moses, but he speaks of himself. Okay, Christopher Wright in his commentary says, says this succinctly. I just think it's worth quoting because it, it says it well. It matters not who Moses is. What matters is who is 
going with him. So that's God's response. Okay, it doesn't matter who you are, Moses. It matters that I am going with you. God doesn't speak of Moses' qualifications for the job. He doesn't sp speak about experience, but he speaks of himself. And he tells Moses, you can do this because I'm going too. It won't just be you, but I will be there. I will be present and at work. That's how God answers Moses' question, who am I? This God who is holy, who's apart, who's, who's different, from any other creature that's been created will be going with Moses. God may be sending Moses, but he will be accompanying him on the way. God's not just saying, go Moses and then check back in with me from time to time. God's not like a boss or, or a, a manager who sends out his employees to do work, uh, to go out maybe on a road trip, and then has his employees come back and report to him. No, God sends Moses and God is with Moses as he is sent. He will be with Moses the entire time. If we think about this response, I think this would be a comfort. Okay, We'd expect it to be a comfort. This should have sold Moses. Moses says, who am I? And God essentially says, it doesn't matter. It matters that I'm going along for the ride. And if we look at the second part, God says, I will be with you. And then we get a sign. And, and when you think about this sign, it's not necessarily a sign uh, as we think about it, but it's God giving him a promise. It says again, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So as I said, it's, it's more of a promise for Moses to take stock in. God is saying, you're going to come full circle. You're going to go to Egypt, and then you'll bring the people right back here. You'll end up in this mountain. And, and more just giving us a look ahead when we come to chapter 19 in the book of Exodus, we are going to see that they do come back to this mountain. It, it has a different name in Exodus 19, and that is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same mountain. So the same place that we're going to find in chapter 19, God shows up to Moses and the people of Israel, is the same place that he, he revealed himself in the burning bush. But as we think about God's response, we find that this is not enough for Moses. It's not good enough to hear that God will accompany him. So we come to the second instance of resistance from Moses to God's sending, and that is questioning what God was capable of. Look with me at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses begins, who am I? And now he, he moves to, who are you? Okay, who am I? Now he comes to, who are you? Moses comes up with a hypothetical here of him going to the people, and they want to know what God is sending him. And they specifically ask, what is his name? This very question, so he's bringing it as a hypothetical this might be a very question in, in Moses' mind. He might be presenting it like this, but this is really something he wants to know. What is his name? Moses, as we think about this, this question, what is his name? He's not just looking for a specific name to identify God, but behind this question is, is Moses wanting to know what is this God capable of? What power does this God have? That is, is what he means by what is his name? What's he capable of? What power does he have? What can he do is what Moses is asking here. And we get God's response. And 
we see that God gives Moses a whole lot more than his name. So as you can see, this, this covers many verses. I want to really zero in on the first two of this section. And as I said, Moses, or, or Moses is looking for more so. What are you capable of? What can you do, God? So I want to look, look at verses 14 and 15, if you look with me there. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So as we think about these verses, I want to skip over I am who I am for a moment. We'll come back to it. But the name God gives to Moses seems to be found in the next two things God says after it. He says, I am has sent me to you. So if you look at the end of verse 14, it says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then in verse 15, it says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers. So, so this seems to be the name that he's given. If he's looking for a specific identifying name, the two that he gives is I am and the Lord. Okay, these two phrases, I am and the Lord, are very similar in the, the Hebrew. They come from the word that means to be, to exist, which, which is ultimately saying God is present. God is alive. He's there. God exists right then and there. And this is significant as Moses goes on to say in the rest then, it says, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So he's saying, I'm the same God that your ancestors worshipped. I'm the same God that made promises to them. I'm the same God that led them there to the land of Egypt I still exist. I'm not a thing of the past. I've not passed off the scene, but I am still alive. I am not I was, but I am. I'm still present. I'm still in existence. And even there at the end, the very last sentence of verse 15, we get a future aspect to this, this name as it says, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So he shows that he will continue to exist. He's not just a thing of the past, nor is he just a thing that is, is present right there, but will die eventually. But he's a thing of the future. He is eternal. So by, by saying, I am, I exist, he is saying, I have no beginning and no end. So I am and the Lord. As I said, these are very, very similar Words in the Hebrew, just to summarize, they mean he exists now in the now and in the past and in the future. This is the same God who worked in the past. He will work now and in the future. He's gone nowhere and he is going nowhere. He will always be. That is what God means by this, this specific identifying name of I am or the Lord, which is that second one is the one that we often see in the scriptures, the Lord, and I have that up there, Yahweh. You've heard that. That's where it comes from, the Lord. 
But now I want to circle back around to the first thing that God says concerning himself. We could call this a name, but I think it's more of an explanation of, of who he is, what he can do, his character. God said to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. So we, we see that God exists. He's forever there. He's, a, he's alive in all generations. He's eternal. And now with this additional name, or as I said, if you'd like to call it an explanation of his name, we find that God is self-existent. Okay? I am who I am. Another way of interpreting this is I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. God is saying that his existence, who he is, rests solely upon himself. Nothing causes him to exist. Nothing impacts or influences him. His being, his makeup, everything that makes him God rests squarely upon his shoulders. And if you think about yourself, this is a foreign idea to us as human beings. Okay? Our existence, our makeup rests on something else. Okay? It comes from something else. Our life is sustained by God. Okay? We are not self-existent. We can't make ourselves continue to live. We couldn't bring ourselves into existence, but God is the only one who could do that. We came into existence through our parents' union. Our personality is influenced by others. It's changed by circumstances. We are not self-existent. God is. That is what is meant here. Going back to the burning bush, okay, we're given a neat illustration here of, of this Name, I am who I am in the burning bush. Going back to verses 2 and 3, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So there was a fire alit in the bush. The bush was on fire, but we are told that it was not consumed, that it was not devoured by the flame that was in this bush, meaning that the flame did not need the bush to stay lit. Okay, take the bush away, the flame's still there. Okay, it's still on fire. Usually you need a bush, you need brush to, to make a fire keep going. We find that this flame was self-existent. We were already told that God is this flame. God is this fire in the burning bush. So it is a picture of his self-existence. He doesn't need anything else to cause him to be able to exist. The picture of this name, I am who I am. And I don't have these passages here more so for sake of time, but we're going to see continuing in Exodus and actually before Exodus in Genesis. In Genesis 15, which we read a little bit ago, um, and then continuing on into Exodus, God shows up in a flame just like this, a flame that is self-existent, doesn't need anything else to exist. So this, the burning bush is not a, a unique or a uh, singular incident in the scriptures, but God shows up in a fire, a self-existent fire, several different times. And one other thing that I, again, we don't have time to develop this evening, but maybe just to pique your interest Amazingly, when we come to the New Testament, we find that the Son of God, Jesus, makes, I believe, nine statements. And he refers to himself as I am. And I have just one of them up here. John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Not before Abraham was, I was, which 
That would have been a pretty revealing statement. But he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the God who appeared in the burning bush. And that incident in specific really got the Jews up in arms. But for the sake of our passage this evening, we find that Moses says, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. I am the Lord Yahweh. God gives Moses a loaded answer to show who he is, what he's capable of, what he can do. And this passage goes on, and for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to, to read through these verses. I was just going to read through them to, to show us, but in these verses 16 through 22, God gives Moses really a road tour on, on what is about to happen. He gives some pretty specific details. He, he walks him through his interactions with the Israelites. We'll come back to that verse in a little, but he, he talks about him showing up to the king of Egypt. He even talks about when they leave Egypt, God prophesies or, or he, he tells him straight up that the Egyptians are going to give you riches. They're going to give you things as you leave Egypt, showing Moses that God not only knew the future, but he had planned what would take place when he sent Moses. Moses just needs to trust what God says. Well, he doesn't. And we come to the third instance of resistance from Moses to God's sending, and that is disregard for what God had just told him. Okay, in Exodus 4, verse 1, it says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. If you think about this, Moses, we could just chalk this up to anxiety, worry. That Moses is saying, they're not going to listen to my voice. They, they won't listen to me. But if we go back to verse 18, which, as I said, we didn't read, but verse 18 said this, God is saying what will happen, and he says, and they will listen to your voice. That's the Israelites. And the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him. So he says about the Israelites, these elders, he says, they're going to listen to your voice. They're going to believe you. They're going to trust you. And we see here that Moses here, essentially in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he's saying, no, they won't. God, I'm sorry, but that is not going to happen. Moses has guts to deny God. And what he said would happen. It's exactly what Moses does here. He, he straight up denies what God has said. And we get God's response and God graciously displays his power. So I don't want us to miss it, but God doesn't say to Moses, Moses, I just told you this. Why wouldn't you believe me? And surprisingly, Moses does, or God doesn't call Moses out. He's extremely gracious. He kind of just moves right on past this and he helps Moses and tries to help the Israelites believe. So his response is to give him signs. The first sign, okay, is a staff turned into a snake. So God gives Moses some signs that, that he kind of have in his back pocket. And the first one is a staff turned into a snake. It says in Exodus 4 verses 2 through 5, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So a staff, Moses' staff, turned into a snake and then back into a staff. Second sign, Moses' hand contracts leprosy in Exodus 4 verses 6 through 7 it says again the Lord said to him put your hand into your cloak 
And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So he gives him a disease and then takes it away, something that was very hard to get away. God does it in an instance. And then the third sign is water turned to blood. Exodus 4, verses 8 through 9. They will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign. They may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So all three of these signs... God gives to Moses, showing his power, showing what he is capable of. God gives them in the context of proving to the Israelites who he is, and to show Moses is sent from him, and in so doing it, it should have also convinced Moses of what God was capable of. But we see even these signs don't move the needle for Moses. So at this point, we should be getting weary of what Moses is doing to God as he continues to resist and resist and resist, but he continues to go with the fourth instance of resistance from Moses to God's sending. And now Moses brings up a deficiency that he has in public speaking. Look with me at verse 10. It says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Just to give us another translation that I think brings out the Hebrew a little better, says, and Moses said to Yahweh, please, Lord, I am not a man of words, neither recently nor in the past, nor since you're speaking to your servant, because I'm, I am heavy of mouth and of tongue. Okay, Moses' excuse here concerns his speaking ability. He says, I'm not a man of words. And he goes on in that last phrase, says, I am heavy. That's what the Hebrew word that in the ESV it said slow. Okay, here, this translation by the, the Lexham English Bible, it says, I am heavy of mouth and of tongue. And I think here what it's talking about is, is not just Moses being a bad public speaker, that he's scared, that he's, he's anxious to get up in front of people, but I think there's a very good chance here that a physical limitation of, of Moses' mouth, his tongue is being talked about here. Speaking uh, of something like a speech impediment. Okay, as, as we're going to see in, in the, the next section, God goes on and he actually talks about some physical uh, disabilities. Uh, but I think here it's, it's not just saying Moses is not a good public speaker, but his speaking's hindered. It's not clear. He has trouble speaking. Moses brings a physical limitation now to, to resist God's call. So he keeps bringing up resistance, excuse after excuse, and now he says, God, my mouth is not good. I, I can't speak right. Well, God's response. God reminds and overcomes the excuse that's given. In Exodus 4.11, God simply says, I created that limitation. It says in verse 11, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So as I said, he goes on to talk about actual physical limitations. He says, mute, deaf, seeing, blind. God shows he knows full well Moses' limitation. He's saying, I created it. 
I created your mouth. I, I made you the way you are. And God shows he'll overcome it in verse 12. It says, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Okay, God says I created and then he says go. Now therefore go. He speaks of the fact that he will be with him and more specifically he will be with his limited mouth. And I, I'd like to just point out for us that God doesn't say, all right, I'll fix it. I'll make your mouth, I'll make your tongue better so that you can speak clearly, so that you do not have this limitation anymore. It's not what God says. He says he will work through this limited mouth. Moses sees this as a problem. He sees this as a roadblock. God does not. And now finally, we come to the fifth and last instance of resistance from Moses to God's sending, and that is blatant refusal. It says in verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. So question, a question, then another question, a worry, and most recently a limitation, and now it's just complete refusal to go. God says that he is sending Moses. God calls him to go and do as he says, and here Moses says, no, find someone else. I will not go. You'll have to get someone else to do what you want done. Keep in mind everything that God has already said and keep in mind, I think it could easily be overlooked, Moses is still before the burning bush and he is just straight up refusing the God who showed up to him in the burning bush. Moses' resistance is stubborn refusal. He will not go. So we get God's response, anger and grace. Look with me at verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he struck him down dead. No. It says, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? So I just want to pause for a moment and say, he didn't strike him down dead. He didn't say, forget it, stay here, stay here in Midian, I'll go and get someone else. But he goes on and he says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? And he goes a different direction than maybe we'd even think there. I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So he says, is there not Aaron, your brother? He's not saying, all right, I'll go with Aaron. I'll pick Aaron. No, he says, we'll go with Aaron, but I'm still going with you. Moses is still going to be the leader. He's still going to be the deliverer. He's going to use Aaron as the spokesperson. They're going together. Moses is still, as we think about the books to come, the story to come, Moses is still very much the leader that God uses. So we see God's grace. Moses resists, he resists, he resists, he refuses, and yet God says, I'm still going to use you. He doesn't treat him how he deserves. I'll just make this as a passing point, uh, just for sake of time, we won't get into it, but I do want to just stress that using Aaron is not God's plan B. Okay, we might think, all right, Moses, he won. Okay? Things did get changed. It didn't go with God's original plan. But interestingly enough, I point out on the, on the screen, 
It says in verse 14, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to you. Aaron was already on his way to Moses. And we find in verse 27 that it was God who initiated this. It says, then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Moses doesn't ruin the plans of God. God knew that Moses was going to refuse all along. So as we think about this interaction, we have quite the interaction between God and Moses. If you think about call stories in the scriptures, think about Jonah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Okay, this is a very long one. It is one that we see is extensive. God is met with resistance and refusal. But chapter 4 ends with Moses going. God sends him and he eventually goes, but he's going with his brother Aaron. And we're told that they speak to the, the Israelite leaders, and the Israelite leaders, they believe and they worship. So how I'd like to close is just with one grand point of application as we think about God's sending and Moses' reaction. And I'll just put it in a short statement and expand off it. Just as God sent Moses, so he has sent you. I'm going to begin and fly through these, these first two. I do want to say there's a uniqueness to Moses' call. Okay? No one else is called to lead the children of Israel out of Israel. We're not called to do that. Okay? Moses was. This call is unique, that God would use him as his leader. He would use him as his deliverer. In one sense, this is a unique call. But there are similarities with our call, the call that I'm saying we are sent Moses was sent to deliver the people of Israel. He was God's instrument. He was God's tool of salvation and deliverance. And so too, there is a call for every Christian. It says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God calls Moses to go. God calls us to go. We are called to go and make disciples. We're called to go and bring deliverance and salvation for people. Not that we're actually bringing about the deliverance or the salvation, just like Moses wasn't either. It was ultimately God working. But we are sharing the message through which God will work to bring about a saving knowledge of him. Each of us is sent. Just as Moses was sent, we are well. We are as well. John 17, 18, Jesus prays this in his high priestly prayer. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we are being sent into the world to share the gospel, to do the Lord's work to bring the message of salvation to the lost. And the question is how have you responded to being sent? How have you responded to the call to make disciples? We've gotten to see Moses' response. Excuse after excuse after excuse, resisting and then ultimately refusing. Have you been resisting and resisting? Have you eventually just refused? If someone could see the 24-7 shot of your life, they would say, yes, they are not making disciples of Christ. Maybe for you, you feel like Moses, you don't believe you're up for the task, maybe you're worried, people will reject you, maybe you have some limitation, 
I think Moses' resistance and his refusal should be a challenge to us as tonight we have come into contact with the God behind the call. And just like he said, I will be with you, Moses. He says the same to us. It says at the end of the Great Commission, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God promises to be with us. God promises to be present. He's not just sending us off on this mission alone, but he's going with us. He's joining in as we share the gospel to the lost. Tonight, we've encountered the God who shows up in a burning bush. We've encountered the God who is compassionate in his people's suffering. We've encountered the God who is eternal, the God who's self-existent. We've encountered the God who knows the future. We've encountered the God who can do amazing and supernatural things. We've encountered the God who has made our bodies. He's the creator of all things. He's created even our limitations This is the God behind our call. This is the God who is sending us. This is the God who is there with us as we go. So the challenge I'll leave us with this evening, out of this text, is go, for you have been sent. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we we thank you for how we have examples in the scriptures of what not to do. Lord, we thank you for how you use people's reactions and and ultimately people's sinful reactions in the scriptures to uh, instruct us, to teach us how not to respond, how not to act, how not to speak. And and Lord, I pray that tonight Moses' example, his resistance, his ultimate refusal would be a challenge to us if we've resisted, if we've refused, as we've been staying home, as we've been maybe at work, keeping our mouth shut, Lord, I pray that you would help us to think about intentional, to think about um, real specific ways that we can go out and share the gospel with the lost, that we'd think about the unbelievers in our life, and Lord, I pray that you would work in us a boldness, a confidence, knowing that you are with us. And Lord, tonight, I pray that we would go, for you have sent us just as you sent Moses. Lord, use us, And Lord, I pray that the fact that you are with us will be a great comfort as we go. And in your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this evening, and you are dismissed.